Before we get started, a quick message on how to protect your family. We all know the next big one is coming. They're masking everybody up and they just approved the new vaccines, testing them only on 20 mice. Yes, it's a joke, literally. The medical establishment is not to be trusted until things change. So how do you protect your family? If you go to twc.help forward slash CDM, you can see their new emergency medical kit. It has a group of medications that will protect your family in most emergencies medically. Anything from a tick bite to the new COVID to bubonic plague and other things like that. So go to twc.health forward slash CDM, use promo code CDM, and you'll get a 10% discount. The kit basically covers one adult, so you may need to buy more. twc.health forward slash CDM. Thank you. Welcome to War Stories. Uh, we've got a, a good friend of mine tonight who uh, is my classmate, uh, Brent Beecham. Used to be, I guess, Captain Brent Beecham, right, when you left? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he was an F-15 pilot in the United States Air Force and then went on to fly for the Israeli Air Force, uh, A-4 attack jets. But he was involved in the first night of the war, uh, in the first Gulf War, and I want to hear his story. So welcome, Brent. Thank you for having me. So... Talk to us how it happened, how you want to lead up to this. I mean, it was shock and awe, right? Yeah. Yeah, you know, and it, it, um, it was really interesting. Our, the, the commanders in the, in the, uh, in the uh, CENTCOM uh, sent out uh, General Horner to go to all the squadrons, all the wings that were deployed, and he wanted to assure us that the that the things that had happened in Vietnam would not happen here. Hmm. And he wanted us to know what the mission was, what we were, you know, what the goal to achieve was, uh, talked about centers of gravity. And he said, um, I can't give you the, the date and the time, but all you have to do is go look at the, uh, go talk to the weatherman and you'll understand when we're going to go. So we had a, a few days warning. I, it may have been even a week. I don't remember exactly. So how long were you deployed in country? Were you in uh, in Dairan or wh where were yeah. you? Okay. Yeah, we went to Dairan. We were uh, the first combat uh, units to arrive. Uh, we deployed on August 7th mm -hmm. of uh, 90 and had been uh, flying patrols from the very moment we landed mm -hmm. till uh, till the day the war started and um along the border yeah we would we would fly four to eight uh aircraft every single day mm -hmm. uh up to the border with uh with kuwait and iraq so all along that whole border to kind of be a tripwire for what was you know a potential uh, invasion from uh iraq into saudi arabia which was the that really was the initial concern and yeah. in fact, we when we landed on August the eighth, we had no idea. You know, in fact, one of the first things we talked about was where we're going to redeploy if um, if they do in fact invade and we have to flee south. What yeah. what's the yeah. next stop? So I mean, there was a lot of concerns about that. But we, you know, we spent a few months familiarizing ourselves. Um, and it got to the point, I think, where we weren't even sure that it was actually going to happen. Uh, they gave us no timelines, uh, and you know there was lots of negotiations and whatnot. So it was a little, little bit of uncertainty. Went from very gung ho, ready to go to war, mm -hmm. get there, prepare, and then you know now we're on hold for this long period of time. Hurry up and hurry. Yeah, exactly. And 
you know, we're all thinking as maybe it's time to go back. Maybe it's time to go back home if we're not going to go to war. Um, we, we had not really packed for a one year deployment or something. It, there, nobody, it was an indeterminate amount of time. So, um, you know, the, when, once we got that uh, visit from General Horner, we knew it was going to happen. And I'll tell you, there was a little bit of a pit in, stu- in the stomach of anybody who will, you know, admit it. But mm-hmm. um, of course. it was, yeah, it's it's one thing to deploy and arrive and go straight to combat because something had happened. It was another to sit there for a long period of time, kind of get a little bit complacent about whether or not there actually would be conflict. And were you getting lit up when you were in patrols? Sorry, we got some feedback. I mean, were you? Were, was there a threat level that you could see? Um, they occasionally would run uh, MiG-25s at the border to threaten AWACS or uh, the tankers. So we, you know, that was our primary mission was to defend, you know, high value assets. So we saw them run against us a few times. Um, you know, you could see uh, SAM sites across the border just, you know, looking at us, but it wasn't any any palpable threat. Um, I did fall asleep one night, almost started, <laughs> maybe I could have started the war a little early. I fell asleep. Uh, we're so tired. We flew so many missions and uh, we were in a counter rotating cap at night. So, you know, we had this air to air attack in between us. We knew how the distance. So we would hit, you know, 20 miles and then turn back and it's 20, 21, 22. And my, the guy was flying with it goes, Hey, where are you at? Where are you going? And I was like, Oh crap. I woke up and yeah, I was just a few miles from the border. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah, that was that was all interesting stuff. But, you know, um, like you said, you just get into this routine and and then all of a sudden it's it's real. Mm-hmm. And to the point, I the first night I was actually uh, on duty to help get everyone out uh, off the ground. And um, so I was running around between um, different revetments. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, we went out and I said, "Okay, guys, talk to the crew chiefs. Hey, we're going to war." And they looked at me like, "What?" Uh, they were, I mean, completely caught by surprise. I said, "This is the flight lead of the first airplane that's launching from from Dauron, mm-hmm. and I need that airplane to be right." And they, you know, all of a sudden you could see this sense of purpose. Mm-hmm. Of course, and this was guy Steve Tate who. At the beginning, they said it was the first kill. You know, there's some timing issues about that, but he, he got a kill the first night. He jumps in his first airplane. It breaks. Mm-hmm. I run to the second airplane, get it ready. He tries to crank it. It breaks. Mm-hmm. I run to the third airplane and set it all up. He jumps in. He, he taxis out in the runway. There's a, a fuel leak uh, on one of the tanks. And now they're like 20, 25 minutes late for this, you know, for their uh, for their tanker, and this master chief looks at me, gets has gum in his mouth, and he goes, sticks it on the leak. He said, "That'll hold until he gets pressurized." And I was like, you know, that would never happen in peacetime. So it was right. really, you know. So he goes up and he gets his first kill, uh, comes back, and you know, um, that was the first sense that you know things were were happening. The, the interesting thing was I was in a, um, 
I was in a four ship with uh, the guy who was our weapons officer. And he was one of the guys that was doing all the planning. And he said, let's don't do nighttime. Let's get a day mission so we can do some dog fighting. So we, we kind of picked the mission we were going to go on, which was the next afternoon. And, uh, you know, we went up. There was uh, eight of us from uh, Langley. I think there was 48 F-16s. Um, there was a couple of EF-111s that were jamming and I think a four ship of F-4Gs that were doing wild weasel stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, so we flew up north to the tankers. Uh, there was tanker tracks up there that we were going to refuel. This was an attack on a base just outside of Baghdad. And, you know, our mission was to go up and uh, clear the skies on the way in, uh, pick up anybody that would launch uh, to attack, to, that would come after the F-16s, and then cover the egress out. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the entire time we're sitting on the tanker track, you know, it takes a long time to get everybody refueled, get everybody yeah. tanked back on uh, for, the, for this mission. And, you know, Baghdad's a pretty good distance up uh, north. And we're a little bit kind of the west. So we're not we're not anywhere where all the, the big, really dense threats were around Kuwait. But um, as we're sitting in the tanker track, the AWACS, and it was this uh, it was a female controller. And she was unbelievably talented person and was very calming and it was really interesting how just her voice you know uh calling out the threats was you know very clear and everybody understood what the picture was and interesting you know there were mig-29s that were up over the base that we were going to attack we knew there were mig-29s to the west of that at a base um that was a big threat to us and uh so we're we're planning. There's eight of us, and we're all planning how we're going to shoot down these uh, two Mig 29s. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, there was the the guys from um, from Eglin were out west, and for whatever reason, they come sweeping across the entire formation of sixty odd airplanes and shoot down these two Mig 29s. Like, I mean, like visual distance. And then come flying right back through these F-16s who are all trigger happy waiting, you know, for MiG-29s that they've been talking about for the last, you know, hour. And I'm surprised they didn't shoot them. Hmm. And uh, and then, you know, sure enough, we get into the cap. There's surface air missiles uh, locking on to us. Uh, there's these MiG-29s that we're, you know, what happened to them? Who's launching from these other bases? So all of a sudden it got very chaotic. Uh, I had uh, radar warning for um, SA-2 and two SA-8s, and and the SA-8s went straight to SA-8 launch. So they were visual launches. We were, because of the weather, we got pushed lower, and then we highlighted ourselves below the clouds. Mm -hmm. Um, We had to get down below them, but, you know, they were able to launch at us visually. And I remember... You know, they talk about time compression. And I remember having a conversation with myself. It was if I turn left towards the formation, I'll stay with everybody. If I turn right, you know, and there was a defensive maneuver. If I turn to the right uh, 90 degrees, I'm going to be getting, I'll, I'll move away from everybody. And then I'm not sure if I can get back. 
I'm sure that happened in a split second. And uh, I decided I was going to turn left. Um, and the F4Gs were launching harm missiles at them. I believe they probably broke lock because I didn't, I didn't see the launch because it was a visual launch and we didn't get warnings until, I mean, it's probably 30 seconds time of flight before, mm -hmm. um, before they're going to hit you. Yeah. So I think, you know, the F4s probably either caused them to break lock or the maneuvers and chaff that we put out um, were able to, to defeat them. But I never did pick it up visually, but it was a pretty chaotic, you know, period of time. F-16s went in, dropped their bombs, came popping back out, you know, wearing our, our cap. They, they go out and we're, we follow them back out again and, and go back and refuel back across the border. So it was, you know, probably, it was maybe an hour and a half um, north of the, the border our first day. And uh, it's really, you know, I look back on it and I can remember good, you know, good portions of what happened uh, pretty vividly. And um, it was an exciting day. Well, a, a telephone pole coming at you will sharpen your senses. <laughs> yeah. Those SA-8s and 6s and 2s are pretty big missiles. Well, SA eight's a little bit smaller, and and really, if you don't see it launch, you, you're not going to pick it up. I I, I saw uh, later in the war at night, I saw SA twos, and those really were telephone poles. Mm -hmm. They were huge, and man, I you know I thought about you know back in the guys in Vietnam era, you know, seeing yeah, these yeah. things come up out of Hanoi or something, and you know, sure. I was able to kind of flashback to that kind of period but um yeah so, so you running sometime after that yeah so we ran we flew every single day um and then so you would fly you had an eight-hour flying block for a pre-planned mission an eight-hour block of alert an eight-hour block of sleep and so most of the days we do we did mostly night, uh, day missions um, we swapped to nights, three or four nights into the into the war. Um, the I think it was the third night of the war. We flew a night mission. There was four of us. One guy um, had a, a malfunction. He um, he had to go back to base, and the three of us got uh, pushed out um, to go intercept. Um, some high value transport that was being escorted by eight MiG-29s. And um, we didn't have enough fuel to go catch them. They were heading towards Iran. Mm -hmm. And so uh, AWACS directs this KC-10 to, to, to fly north. And again, up in this point, all the tanker tracks are south of the border. Most, most fighter tracks are south of the border. You know, you just went across uh, the fence to for uh, specific missions. This KC-10, they said uh, you need to take off north and meet these three uh, F-15s and refuel them. And so we ended up refueling. We came up on this KC-10. He didn't have a single light on him. I didn't see him until he was less than a quarter mile out, maybe maybe less. Yeah, I could see my well. Yeah, Same thing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And uh, 
and, and look down and there's literally we're between these two big fighter bases in south uh in southern iraq and there's an attack going on and you know you see the the they're you know see triple uh, a coming up off the these two bases and we're like right between them with this kc-10 and uh you know so we refuel really quickly and we take off north heading for these guys and i remember the kc-10 guy um calls back to AOX. He's like, they refueled, we're, you know, what do you want us to do? You know, we got no protection up here. And they're like going, turn south and go fast, you know? So it was, uh, I, it, it was a pretty good distance to, to take that kind of risk. I don't know what the asset was that they thought we were going after, but they had eight MiG-29s and there were three of us. And uh, we got close enough to see them on radar, but we never could we never could catch up with them enough. And I think they I think they crossed into Iran. It could have been somebody bath party or or somebody yeah. that was being escorted. But you don't put eight eight uh, Mig twenty nines on a on an airplane if if there's not somebody on it that's important. For sure. For sure. Yeah. So how, how did it end for you? How did what? How did it end for you? Yeah, so um, the last two nights of the war, um, before the ceasefire, they uh, I was on alert, and um, we got really comfortable with alert. You know, like when you're practicing in in peacetime, you know, five minutes seem like a like that's not enough time to get off the ground and you know and fly. By that time, we were you know sleeping and sleeping in your underwear basically and able to get off the ground pretty quickly and so we got uh scrambled two nights in a row and best of my knowledge it was saddam uh, was planning to flee and we were scrambled to go shooting down and uh they they gave us this code word that said you know this is an all cost chase them however far you have to and if you run out of fuel mm-hmm. so be it we'll come get you and that was they, they gave us this code word for that and so we knew it was pretty serious and so we scrambled two nights in a row for that and uh you know i remember taking off like looking down okay my boots aren't tied uh oh yeah i gotta gotta get the ejection seat uh you know armed up oh i forgot to you know put on one of my harnesses I mean, you know, you just got off the ground as fast as you could. It was really interesting. And then so um, once the ceasefire uh, happened, we continued to patrol and we did that. And of course, they lit the the oil fields on fire. Mm-hmm. So we were, you know, flying up through was just smoke and fire everywhere. It was really surreal. And uh, after um, a week or so of that, they decided to rotate us home since we were the first guys. So we came back almost uh, seven months of the day, uh, came back to Langley, um, had to stop over in Spain on the way back and then, you know, finally back home. And it was definitely a, a big welcome from the, from the base. You know, back in the day, people today forget there was no internet. There was no mm-hmm. cell phone. There was no video. There was no email. It was, you know, occasional phone call and a, and a bunch of handwritten letters. So yep. to reconnect with your family after seven months was was really that was a big thing for us. I you know I forgot I hadn't thought of that that we didn't have all that yeah. back then. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. 
Well, interesting, Brent. Anything else you want people to know? No, just uh, I think a lot of people today, um, there's a disconnect between American people and the military. And and I think that, you know, the professional force has made it such that, that people don't really have any connection with anybody they know. It's not like the draft days when you knew somebody from your high school or your neighbor to get drafted. Mm-hmm. Remember that that there are people out there every day um, that are defending our country and we really need to you know, make sure we support them and, and not just in a kind of casual way, we support our troops. Um, yeah. So I, it's important, important work they did and we appreciate it. Brent, thank you. Thank you. Take care. Take care. Sorry about the uh, feedback. No, no problem. Thank you.